Welcome to Full Court Press, the podcast where two basketball fanatics wish the NBA brought back short shorts. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Felix. Yo, Bonnie. What's up, bro? Did you know Ronnie Turioff is French? Like, like Paris French, bro. <laughs> um, nah, dude, I, I, I didn't know that. No. The, I thought he was, I thought, honestly, and all honesty, I thought he was just like American. I thought he was American. No, bro. I actually saw that in the Tony Parker doc documentary on Netflix. Oh. Yeah. You know, and you know, whoever's listening to it right now and you haven't watched it, you should watch it right after this one. It's really nice, bro. Everything's in French, like when Tony Parker talks. But yo, it's worth a watch, especially when Kobe came. Oh, that gave me chills. Like goosebumps, bro. Right? Yeah, I know. And you had, a good, you, had a good, you had a good chunky part in it still. That's good. All right. This episode's positive affirmation is actually going to be a quote from our favorite show, Modern Family. <laughs> and it is from Phil Dumphy's Philosophy. The most amazing things that can happen to a human being will happen to you if you just lower your expectations. Amen, bro. Phil knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about, man. <laughs> Good family, man. In this episode, we'll be taking a trip down memory lane where Echo Jeans and Fat Farms were a must while sitting by your janky computer hitting that nudge emoji on MSN. Remember that? Oh, I remember that, bro. That's right. I'm talking about the 90s and the 2000s. So, Felix, what can you recall about the 90s, about the about the uh, 2000s growing up within those, uh, especially in the 2000s, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, us being 90s babies um, and hitting, you know, being a part of that new millennium. What do you, what do you recall, man? What do you remember? Bro, I remember so many things like the Tamagotchi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bro, even the, you know, you know, Digimon, the Digi device. Oh yeah, Digimon, digital monsters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else, bro? Um, Game Boys, bro. Game Boys, Game Boy Advance. Yeah, Game Boy Color. Yeah. Oh, bro, GameCube was popping, bro. Super Smash Bros. The yeah. po- Pokemon Coliseum. You cannot tell me. I think that was the most fire ass game ever. Yeah, po- Pokemon Stadium. Pokemon Stadium. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. On on a uh, N sixty four. Along with uh, 007 GoldenEye and then Super Smash Bros. are like the top three yeah. like Nintendo 64 games. And like, remember you gotta, you like, if, if the game wasn't working, you'd have to take out the game yeah, and blow like it. blow in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'd have to blow inside of it and be like, yo, yeah. this shit's not working right now. Yo, right? You, you blow it extra hard. <laughs> yo, sometimes <laughs> you blow in frustration, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, yo, man. I remember. Yeah. And the games we used to play, handball. Handball at recess. Yeah, yeah. handball at recess. Yo, yeah, like red ass. We played red ass at recess. I know red ass, bro. I know red ass really good. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yo, manhunt. Manhunt. Uh, yeah, see, like playing manhunt where I grew up because I lived in um, like pretty much there were like three apartment buildings that surrounded like a certain like intersection yeah and it pretty much had this community of kids and every single day after school like around four or five o'clock or after dinner time we'd all go out and we would play manhunt and then the rules were pretty much um 
anywhere on the property, including the garage that like linked all three apartment buildings. Oh, so shit. We, yeah. So we literally played like all night. And this is also back in the day when like flip phones were just starting to be a thing. Like I remember having like a much music like flip phone from Motorola. Oh, what? You got a flip phone, bro? I started with a brick ass Nokia. Yeah, because I, I, the thing is, it was a shared flip phone between, I think, myself and my sister or my, like, myself, my sister, and my mom. I'm not, I, I can't go deep into the memory vault, but um, that's what I really remember. And I also, I don't know if you were into this, but growing up too, man, like, I also had, me and my sister, we had um, this card game almost. It's like a trivia uh, flip book called Brain Quest. No. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Like we had brain quests and it's just like tested like random general questions and it was really cool. Bro, yeah. the early two thousand yo, two thousands, yo, Yu-Gi-Oh! I was going off in those duels, yo. Yeah, man. I wanted to just face Yami, Yami Yugi, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And Magic. Magic the Gathering. Yeah, Magic the Gathering. Yeah, Magic the Gathering was, that was the next level thing. People still play Magic the Gathering. It's 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 a good game. It's a good it's a great card game. Really great card game. Makes you think, bro. I love that shit. It does. It does. Yeah. And my honestly, like my, if I were to have one childhood um, item or or um, or object, pretty much a symbol or an image that would represent my childhood as a whole in the in the two thousands, it would definitely be Shrek. Shrek. Yeah, man. Shrek was dope. For me, actually, no, this is not even 90s, bro. But you know, you watch the replays. I used to watch Dragon Ball Z, bro. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dragon yeah. Ball Z was super lit. Inuasha. Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, that, that animes back then were very, very good. Yeah. All right, man. So tell me about, you know, if there's anything happening in, in the NBA right now kind of thing. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of questions I can ask and some rumors. And, and if you're buying or selling these next things, I'm going to tell you. So tell me your honest opinion. Um, This was going around, obviously, because they had like the best record. They have the best record in the NBA. Uh, Joel Embiid for MVP. Do you know his stats right now? He's averaging 25 points per game, 12 rebounds, two blocks, and one steal. Do you think he has a really good case for MVP? Uh I I don't really think he does. Cause like if you think about it right now, like especially the state of the game, first of all, to be a center and average those numbers is very, very impressive. Not not that many centers can do that in today's game, because we all know it's a guards game, right? The the rules are now favored to the offense. So with that being said, for a big guy to be averaging that much obviously from the paint and now he's obviously developing and like nailing like most of his shots like 18 even 20 feet away from the basket it's it's really impressive and obviously he can grab those boards anytime but i don't i think 25 points won't cut it i think he has to do something as a teammate all around like an all around basketball uh, component to like make sure that he's within the mvp race but I feel like obviously people will argue against that saying he, this is probably right now since it's very early 
in in the season. Statistically, it's his best start as a Sixer, right? Um, but at the same time, I I really don't know if he's if if he'll be MVP like worthy this season. I think that still goes to those have been you know been challenging that 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 entire MVP race or icon like with Luca and Giannis and LeBron and AD. Yeah, but but like if Joel maybe raises in points per game a little higher, maybe averaging twenty eight, and he can lead Philly to have the best record in the NBA, he can yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. Yeah, case. that's a great case. That's a great case. I I I totally agree with that. And it would be really nice to see a big man up. Like I like because to me he's like one of the other true. He's not like a true center. center. Yeah, he's a center, but like. He's like one of the last, not one of the last, the last true center was Shaq. But yeah, in terms of just like size and dominance and like putting up those numbers and having center like um, championship capabilities, perhaps he's mm-hmm. he's up there. Yeah. What about the Phoenix Sun? Are you buying or selling their success? Ooh. Well, first of all, um, I think the moment that Chris Paul uh, join the Suns. I think fans around the NBA were so, so excited for Devin Booker because I think he really yeah. needed, right? Like, I think he just really needed a partner. You know what I mean? If you look at even within this past 10 years in the 2010s, like most of these squads, like if you didn't have a decent point guard, it, it shit wouldn't have worked. Even if you look at the Heat, when they had Mario, Mario Chalmers, like he was still a good pick. He was he was a, he was a great complementary player with D Wade, Chris Bosh, and, and LeBron. Like you need complementary players alongside with your franchise star, right? I st- I still yeah. think Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are are doing well in pushing Devin Booker to the forefront, making it seem like he's he could he could possibly be one of the only current players that will stay with the team for his entire career. The only last people to do that were. Dirk Nowitzki, Kobe, Kobe. Um, yeah, Tim, Tim the Manu. There's not a lot of people on that list, and 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 if D Book has that um, mentality, I mean, he also even he even got B Legendary tattooed on on his arm in the same yeah. like calligraphy and penmanship as Kobe, um, to, as a reminder. So like, if that doesn't instill within him, I don't know what is, but. It's working. I think the culture is working. And you also got to give props to Monty Williams. He could also be a potential yeah. coach of the year this year, right? With how it's like going right now. Um, they're, they are definitely finding their groove. Um, even like second or third year players, or even fourth year players on that squad are, are finding yeah. their groove. Bridges, yeah. Right? You know, Cam, uh, Johnson. Um, like yeah. they're, they're all, they're, yeah. they're all finding their groove. And I think they're buying into, you know, D book. And CP and being, yeah, we can compete against a Dame we, and a McCollum. We can compete against a Stephen yeah, Clay, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, the great thing about D Book, bro, he plays really great off ball. And he's not having like a high scoring season like he usually does. So, like, it's like, like for, for Joel and B2, like, like I said, maybe, maybe if D Book can up his scoring, they can be a little bit more dangerous, you know? I can see them passing the first round. I just didn't think it was going to be this much success right away. So that's the scary part because there's, you know, they're not even in midseason form. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. Very exciting. Right. right? And then obviously with all the fans thinking of 
oh, the first round Chris Paul curse. Like, will this, will it actually happen? We can go on and on of like individual players in NBA history who are obviously great at what they did, but they just never, they just could never get over the hump and win a championship, right? So I'm really hoping that Phoenix Sun squad can turn it around because then it would be a, it would be the first time in a while, maybe almost in over ten years, I think. If not even over ten years, well, yeah. but, I think I think I think it's been yeah, more than ten years. Um, because even when Grant Hill was on the Phoenix Suns against uh, Kobe in in the Western Conference Finals, um, like even then it was just getting over the hump of of, of having Phoenix as a championship contending team. Because if you think about it, they, they're, if you just think of Phoenix as the city and just the players that have come out of playing for that team, there's only a, a handful of stars that you can think of as Phoenix. And I think they, they slide between a big and a small market team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think throughout the past couple of years, they were able to get D-Book, they were able to, obviously, in the 2000s, you'll touch upon it later, with Steve Nash and Amari, Sean Marion, all those guys, Leandro uh, Barbosa. So you have all those guys then, and it kind of straight away, as the years went by and got towards the 2010s, and then also right now. But what's also good is the fact that we're able to see these young players right now flourish, right? Just making sure the game is going in the right direction and making sure that the league itself is not, um, it's not heavily weighted. Like sure. Like we know that, yeah, Lakers are going to be so great because they have LeBron, they have 80. Like there has to be level competitiveness throughout every division, throughout both conferences. So that way it's just like, damn, like I really know, I really don't know who to root for because as a fan, it's more so, oh, I can either root for this player, which is what I think the NBA has become right now, because the NBA has done an incredible job in marketing franchises, in like developing player uh, players, uh, personalities outside of basketball as well. But then also, if you also think about it, back then it was more so celebrating teams. It's like if you wore, if for example, if you wore like, um, if you wore like a Knicks jersey, it's like cool, like I'm a Knicks fan. You know what I mean? But now it's more so like I wear a jersey because of the player more than because of the team. The team, right? yeah. Um, 100%, yeah. yeah. Fuck, I had it. I like a Jose Calderon jersey. Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what about this one? So what about the Knicks? The Knicks, are, Knicks aren't a bad team. Is that buying or are you selling that? Ooh. Um, I, okay, because, because we're seeing players on that squad flourish i always use the word flourish because they're not emerging because they're an emerging player is a player whose game is obviously changed and we can obviously say julius randall right now is doing fucking amazing um yeah see my next buying yourself for that one is like do you think he should be in the all-star okay so i'll put these i'll answer those two questions together together so for the knicks i think what a lot of people are missing is tom thibodeau i always think that depending on the type of players you have, right? Whether they're player coaches, because you even have some players that are player coaches who can just lead a team on the floor, floor generals, just 
great basketball IQs, right? Like you said last episode, CP3 and LeBron James, right? Yeah. The thing is, I also do, I also believe that sometimes in the very, very rare cases, you can have coaches who make great players or like coaches make players. And then sometimes there's the case or the scenario where players make coaches and that players make coaches um, statement could be for, um, I don't know, off the top of my head, that could be right, right now for the Suns, for Monty Williams. Like in the fact that, you know, sure he's had Devin Booker, but with the addition of, of Chris Paul, he also, he's also making other players on that team get noticed. And it's, and yeah. it always, yeah. it always goes back to the drawing board, always goes back to watching film, studying, you know, plays, studying their past opponents and all that stuff. Um, so for the Knicks, I'll, I will, I'll give credit where credit is due to Tom Thibodeau. Cause think about the players that he coached, yeah. Derek Rose for starters, right? Like cat, cat, right. And, in in, in, uh, in, uh, in Minnesota. So I think they're finding the right coach because even when Phil Jackson went in, it, it was kind of messy. I think it was forced. I think there wasn't really any foundation or stability. Yeah. He was forcing the triangle. Exactly. Right. It wasn't working. Even Melo knew that, right? Yeah. And the thing is you need the right players to form a triangle. Yeah. 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 Um, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I am slowly, if, if I were to buy into the Knicks right now, I'd probably put, I, I wouldn't, I, I'd probably, I'll put, I'll put a couple nickels because we're Canadian. So I'll put a couple nickels that they're, they're going to, they could probably even make it to the playoffs. This, that would be amazing if they did. If they did, like, as a fan, I'd fucking love that's, that shit. Yeah, but that sucks. It's like, you know, COVID restrictions, right? Right, exactly. It would yeah. Be amazing. They could have let the fans in. Oh, they want to go crazy. Yeah, man. But like, think about it. Like, it's, it's Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? Like, think of the longer lasting franchises that have never been touched or moved, like city wise. Like, Seattle now went to OKC, right? Um, the Utah Jazz used to be in New Orleans, you know, um, all that other stuff. Like, Va- the Vancouver Grizzlies are, used to, are now in Memphis, right? Like, yeah. you don't have a lot of history like MSG. You have great places. You, have, you got great concerts that have happened there. Great acts that have app that have took place there. Um, it's just a historical arena, man. And if they can actually bring some type of sports championship to the to MSG, it would be huge. It would be huge. And with the young core they got now, I think it's gonna. I think it's they're gonna. They're gonna. It's gonna flourish again. I'm always gonna repeat those words. Um, yeah. No, I, I feel you, but I'm kind of against it. I think I'm I'm selling. I'm selling the Knicks. I don't know. I think it's too good to be true. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but it is a nice. It would it would be nice if they made the playoffs, but I am buying uh, Julius Randle All Star nod. I mean, the way he's been playing is fucking phenomenal. Like the way okay, if that's the if that's the way you see Julius Randle, I agree with you too. I'll agree with you on this one too with Julius Randle with All Star nod. I'm buying that, but the only reason why I'm buying that is because it's right now the way he's playing is rem- is reminding me of how Bam Adebayo played last year and became an All Star. That's true. Right. So, but he's a, I think he's a much more better scorer than 
then uh, bam. Yeah, and plus, I don't know what it's like like playing just pick up ball and random like randomly. Um, but what like the fact that he's also left-handed is freaking insane. I think left-handed players players are 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 not talked about too much, and I think in regards to his game because he has a great like. Like I was just even watching highlights and and just watching um, his footwork in the post. Julius Randle is doing something right. He's doing. He's making the right choices, getting his teammates involved. Like at one point, I think earlier this week or last week, like RJ was like perfect from the three point line at during sometime during the first quarter or something. I may be wrong about that, but oh well, yeah, he was like five of five or something. Yeah, um, he was going off. So he's he's doing so, like some something is working. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's some like voodoo spells happening in in that in New York. <laughs> Maybe you know. Um, but yeah, like we'll see, we'll see. All right, so let's dive into this episode: the '90s East teams and the '90s West teams. Obviously, throughout this decade. Um, the Bulls were the team, uh, was the team of the '90s, and and without a doubt, that's already end of discussion. Boom, right? But there are a select m- amount of teams who, in a way, are like honorable mentions who either won a couple of um, games in the playoffs throughout the '90s, or have faced off against Michael Jordan. But didn't get their just due yeah. because those Jordan years are like unmatched for and for the exception of for the time of he of him retiring the first time. Um, so who are your nineties East teams other than just the Bulls that really that really impressed you, that you were entertained by, that you got a nice kick out of? Yeah, you know, obviously I wasn't gonna use any Phil Jackson coach teams, but but like I'm gonna go with their rivals, to be honest, I'm going to pick the Knicks. You know, we we're just talking about how great it would have been if they make the playoffs this year. But when they had that, that decade run with Patrick Ewing, that Madison Square Garden is a, it's a fun place to, to watch games, you know, even on TV. The fans are crazy. Uh, there, there were a fun team, like with Patrick Ewing leading. They legit always had a rivalry with, and with the Bulls. Not only the Bulls, but also with the Pacers. And that's what I kind of miss with the NBA. I think that's what was missing in NBA. More rivalries, you know? Yeah. It just brings so much intensity to the game. Like, you know it's personal. Like, you know these guys don't like each other. and They're going to do whatever it fucking takes for them to win. I think this is it's kind of missing in here, right? Well, yeah, because also the rules were different back then, too. I'll touch upon the rules a little bit later. Um, but, but, no, you're like Charles Oakley on that squad. Oh, my God, man. He had that guy Stark. Stark yeah, on that, bro. Yeah, man. John Starks. Yeah, man. Oh, man. But then, like, my favorite, I think their best year was, it was a lockout year, right? Mm-hmm. And they, yo, bro, they barely made the playoffs. And then they were, like, they were legit one loss away from not even making it, right? So they're eighth, and they faced the number one team, which was Miami at the time. And see, there's another rivalry. The Knicks hated Miami, bro. All the time. So, and, um, you know, you know who actually coached that team? It's, uh, one of my favorite commentators right now, uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Okay. Do I have a story for you, bro? Bro, I love, I just, I, 
you know how much I'm hoping for him to go back into coaching the right now? Like I wish he's coaching a team right now. Uh, Do you remember his his accusations as a Knicks coach? Do you remember that against Michael Jordan? What was it? It was um because so Charles Oakley and Michael Jordan were in the same draft class, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were really close friends, even off the basketball court. But obviously on the basketball court, Michael just wanted to fucking defeat you, right? And make you feel like shit. So Jeff Van Gundy made like a public statement back in the day to the media. And he was saying, you know, Michael Jordan is a great, is like a good player. But what he does is he, he, he befriends, he stays friends with, um, you know, some of my players and he attacks them on the basketball court. He's literally calling him like a two faced person. And I'm like, really, bro? Are you really going to just like, go ahead and talk like you're a coach talking shit about a like a, a great player that you can't draw a play around to defeat. That's kind of sus. That is fucking sus. <laughs> For real. Yeah, it was just like man, Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, man, it'd be cool to see him coach sometime. It is, it'd be sick like him and his brother, right? Like Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, cuz but that so going back to that playoff, so they're eighth spot, right? Yeah. So they beat Miami. They beat Miami in 7 or 5. I think it was one of those ones and then they had a great conference finals with the Pacers Indiana mm. and you know what that could have gone back and forth because I think Indiana could have gave uh, Spurs for the run of their money and that could have been Reggie Miller's first year first win but Patrick Ewing stopped that right like I said I'm going to get a little bit back and forth with the rivalry between they had but they went to the finals and they faced the Spurs uh, but it, it was nice to see that run because they were actually the first team that won a first round matchup coming eighth spot. And I'm pretty sure and I'm pretty sure it's the first team to ever went to the to the freaking finals eighth spot, right? I don't think that's ever gonna be repeated. So that's kind of, that was a fucking special year, right? Yeah. And you know what's good? Like Tim Duncan first ring was coming off beating a fucking legend. You know? Yeah man. That's fucking dope. My my other team was the Pacers, right? They had a right you know they had the crazy rivalries with the Knicks. The bro, you know Reggie Miller versus Spike Lee. <laughs> Reggie Miller, yo, Reggie Miller loves talking trash, bro. He loves talking that shit. He want he wanted all the smoke, yo. But they were a great team from '94 to '99. Uh, they always finished either number one seed or or the lowest was third, except for like uh, the '96 season. They had I think Reggie Miller got injured or something like that. They they didn't even make the playoffs. But if I had to pick a, a player that would translate amazing to the modern era. And in, in, it will be Reggie Miller from the Pacers. He would have fucking loved playing in this era. But he was a guy for the, he was the guy for the Pacers, man. But funny enough, between those seasons, there, there were great. Reggie Miller only averaged 20 twice. Take that in. You're thinking like he'll be averaging more like a 25 or a 26 points per game or something like that. Yeah, man. But he only averaged 20 twice in his career. He's, He's a team player, making big because that 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 man has the clutch gene, and uh, their best season hands down was when they went to the finals in ninety nine to two thousand against the Lakers. Obviously, you already know how that went. The Lakers slapped, <laughs> but they had a nice balanced team, bro. They had obviously Reggie Miller. They had Mark Jack- Jackson, Al Harrington, Sam Perkins, who was shooting those threes back then too, bro. Hmm. Uh, like a like a way past their prime Chris Chris Mullen, right? And um well that year he was I think he was one year away from retiring. So yeah, he wasn't the same 
Chris Mullen and like run DMC, right? Yeah. But that yeah, team was fun. And I love watching like the replays, right? With Bulls and then Knicks, Reggie versus Spike. You know, every time they went to the conference finals, they lose either to the Bulls or Knicks. So you know, the rivalries are are fucking are heated when they when they always play, especially in the playoffs. They always find see those are the best ones where like the rivalry goes into the playoffs, right? And uh, and they're one way they were one win away from beating Shaq's Magic that year. Shaq won and won the won the ring. Oh, not won the ring, but went to the finals and he lost to Hakeem. Yeah, so I I just want to plug in here. That's a great honorable mention team. Yeah, it's, it's low key. Like not no, I don't I don't think nobody knew how good young Shaq with Penny was. Right, even Shaq said that thing. Penny was Kobe before Kobe. Which I feel like that's crazy, but if Shaq knows his shit, you know? Like, that that Magic Squad, dude. They had the pieces. Bro, that was a good... That, oh, man. If Shaq w- would have won one, I think he would have just stayed there. Lakers, 3P will never happen. They were, they, were, they were that close. They were that close. But, yeah... So with the Pacers, I think I was more of a Reggie Miller fan than a Pacers fan, to be honest. So it's kind of like sucky that, you know, he never was able to win, win one ring. And it sucked because he was like in the middle of everything. It was not Mike, Shaq. It's not Shaq. Ewing. It was not Ewing. Kobe and Shaq. You know? And, but he was always going to be remembered as like the best shooter. I think he was the, he he led this shooting era, right? I think obviously Steph Curry got a lot of stuff from him, Clay Thompson and all that stuff. So, yeah, and even in the early two thousand, I think his best years was when they had like Stephen Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal, Ronald Tess, Jamal Tinsley. That was like the end of his prime. He was only averaging ten, but that's still like that's that's still uh, results, bro. He still got your back. And he can drop ten points for you, but yeah, that was my little rant, but. Yeah, those two teams were were very impressive. That really got me out. All right, man. Yeah, those are those are great selections. Um, in the '90s for East teams, man. Like for my West teams in the '90s, though, I got two teams that. Um, one of them won a championship in that decade. That being the Houston Rockets. Um, yeah. So Rockets and also the Jazz. So I'm going to talk about the Houston Rockets real quick. Um, that Houston Rockets team, they won in 94 and they also won in 95. Like you said, you already mentioned the 90s New York Knicks and they versed them in the, in the NBA finals in, I believe, 94. And that was the tale, like pretty much the dog eat dog, center versus center, Patrick Ewing versus Hakeem Olajuwon. That was and, a good matchup. The same thing with Hakeem versus Shaq. Yeah, man. And that's the thing because take a look at this deck. If you look at this decade, right? This decade, and the reason, and I'll tell you why I chose the Rockets and the Jazz because this decade alone obviously was the Michael Jordan era. Yeah. Right. Sure, yeah. It's a Michael Jordan decade. But the emergence of Michael Jordan throughout the decade of the 90s is the reason why centers are now non-existent in today's game. Yeah, centers are a dying breed, man. I actually crave for a good center. 
Because I think that's what we grew up on, especially in the 2000s. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to continue with the Rockets really quickly. Like guys on the squad that you had, you had Kenny Smith, you had uh, Vernon Maxwell, you had Sam Cassell, obviously Hakeem. Clyde Drexler. Clyde Drexler. Yep. Like even at one point, Ralph Sampson was on the squad. Freaking huge ass man. And, and the thing is with Hakeem, he was just a revolution. Uh, he revolutionized that position to play center and on how, and how one can move so quick. In the post. Yeah, he was ahead of his time. He was. He was very ahead of his time. Taking footwork of a guard, using that on the low post, and just like bullying guys easily. Easily. He has probably one of the best um, stat lines um, ever. Almost close to... A quadruple-double, right? Yeah, twice. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he did a, a quadruple-double twice. Do you know who was the last one who did it? Last guy who did it? I know. Isn't it um, David Robinson? Yes, sir. It yeah. was David Robinson. Yeah. It was David Robinson. Yeah. Like that was like, anyways, the Rockets squad against the Knicks. That was, that was so good. I think it was also nice to see um, a center of that caliber with that finesse just rule that 94 um, season. And then obviously going into the 95 season, it was pretty much, hey, you know what? Let's run this back to back. Yeah. And this is and this is why, like when you said earlier about, yeah, man, like this is the era of the centers, but also um they were phasing out because Michael Jordan was in. Yeah. He 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 goes up against Shaq with uh with the Orlando Magic. And boy, do they like demolish them. Because the thing is, if you look at that Orlando Ma- Orlando Magic squad. Yeah, but that was the year. But that was the year when Mike came came back like half season. Yeah, he came back half season, and the Magic literally defeated the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, well, the next year they fucking slapped him. That's true. That's true. I'll get. You know what? I'll actually tell you a quick story here. I'll insert this story right here, right now, man. About um, after Michael, and I'm not saying the Bulls at this point. I'm just gonna say Michael because Michael came back, reached the Eastern Conference Finals, lost to Shaq. Penny, D3, Nick Anderson, Horace Grant, lost to that squad. And then obviously the Magic loss to the Houston Rockets. Michael Jordan felt defeated and frustrated. He was very pissed off. He wasn't impressed with himself. And at this time too, this is when he was also shooting. The summer after the 95 Houston Rockets won the championship. Yeah, That summer he was also shooting uh, Space Jam. I don't know if you knew this. No, I, I think I, I think I did. Yeah, so he was shooting Space Jam, and so on the Warner Brothers set, uh, he asked some people to have a basketball court, build a basketball court, which is a huge. You're talking about the on Last Dance, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was also on the Last Dance, yeah. And they built an entire um, basketball court, and he played. Yeah, he played. He invited players in the NBA to come out to LA and just shoot some hoops. And pretty much, I feel that if it wasn't if it wasn't for that, then, because if you think about it this way, he came into the NBA at that time in his career, right? Lost again, lost to the Magic, came back the next year and, and won and started the beginning of the second three-peat, right? I think those players that came to see Jordan at uh, Warner Brothers to play, like, pick up basketball with him, in a way helped him win the next three-peat. Because like he wasn't playing like 
all pickup ball a lot throughout that summer because he was shooting Space Jam, right? So that really, really helped him a lot in terms of, you know, getting over that hump as a player. But I'm kind of going off track here. With the Rockets, though, that Rocket squad was was dope. I think, hands down, arguably, like, Hakeem Olajuwon is, is, is unmatched. Even Shaq said that. Like, it was so hard to guard him. Um, but you said your next team was Utah, right? Yeah, my next team is Utah. And I, you know what? Utah, Utah is a team that doesn't get that much love. So, first of all, whenever I think of Utah Jazz, obviously I think of, or pretty much a lot of people will just think of, you know, Stockton and Malone. But give credit where credit is due again to Jerry Sloan. Okay. So, from 1991 to 1992, um, for that season, all the way up until 2002, for that 10-year span, the Utah Jazz made five conference finals appearances, two NBA finals appearances, and only finished under 50 wins once. So they were at the top of the Western Conference for almost a decade. Yeah, that was that was the Spurs before the Spurs was the Spurs, you know? Exactly. And so, That's your tongue twister. <laughs> and Jerry Sloan, he's like, you know, one of those coaches that really got under your skin, but that squad, again, you can also reference the last dance when, you know, they were talking about him and Russell and that last play, whether or not that was a shove or a push or a foul or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like Stockton Malone, some people also made this argument and debate saying, you know what? If, if it wasn't for Stockton, there would be no Malone. Do you agree about that? I think Stockton made Malone's career very easy, much, much more easier. I still think Malone would have came to his own and became great as he was. But I think Stockton made it very easy for him. So yeah, I don't know. Take what you want. <laughs> I don't know if you want to take what I just said, but no, but I think, yeah. like I think yeah, I think he still would have been great. But yeah, yeah, he 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 still would have been great. It's just the fact that. That squad, especially with uh, Je- um, with Jeff Hornacek and his free throw ritual of wiping the sweat off of his face, <laughs> yeah, um, that was like the NBA at that time too, and even now was like um, a copycat league. Like you had a great point guard or a decent guard at the one, but then you also had a decent power center or just a center. And I think that was the mentality going in within, especially within the Rockets organization and the Jazz organization in terms of getting to um, the NBA finals, right? Yeah. But then again, I'll repeat it again. Michael Jordan fucking changed that shit. And now the, and the reason why Jordan changed the rules of the NBA today is the fact now he made it possible. Michael Jordan made it possible for smaller guys to be more dominant throughout the game rather than the centers. And that's why the centers have been phasing out. So now the rules of the game are being favored to the offense rather than before when like there was a lot of hand checking and stuff like that. Like it, it's just, it's so mind boggling, mind boggling to see like, Hey, I'm a small guy and guess what? I'm going to drive into the paint. And if you're a big dude, you can touch me, but I'm going to, I'm going to shoot two from the free throw line. You know, like before it was just like, sure, I'm going to hit you and I'm going to hit you. 
and and it's done like that's it but you know putting new rules into place um changes the way the game works but yeah that utah jazz team was especially you know going back to back finals right sadly losing but it was very 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 entertaining to watch even like clips and highlights and just see the smack talk and and just even the collaboration between a guard and a center and i think that kind of paved the way for today's game or even throughout the 2000s which we'll get into so obviously we're millennials we're 2000s babies we love playing with tamagotchis with our pokédexes with flip phones and even have some furbies and all that stuff i love 2000s stuff so tell me about some of these 2000s teams um in the west that really like you know caught your attention Well, yeah, I can go on for days, bro. But I want to give you one honorable mention before I go. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, you know, the We Believe team, when they uh knocked out my Mavs team in the first round, bro, they were an exciting team. Oh, I loved watching them because I I've been a Golden State fan for a while since since that 2017. So for that to transfer to Steph Curry, it was very fun to watch. But the team. I was so obsessed with bro. And you know what I'm still obsessed with right now to this day is uh I will pick Dallas. I love the Dallas Mavericks. Funny enough the man who ran the team would also lead my next favorite 2000 team. But I love Dallas when they had Steve Nash and Dirk. Those two were so fun to watch. They were like the Warriors in that era. If you really think about it. Cuz Steve Nash man, he he saw something else. Cause taking this man, he ran the point for six of the top twelve highest offenses of all time. Take that in. Let me name the years. So Dallas, he, when he was at Dallas, he was literally, he literally had the he had the best offense between two thousand and one and two thousand and four, right? And then obviously, fucking Mark Cuban didn't want to pay him, and then and then he left for the Phoenix Suns. And then guess what? And then uh, we get you know. Dallas got like a pretty a pretty good point guard Devin Harris. He was running point for a few years before they traded him for Jason Kidd. But with Devin Harris, that's when Dirk went and made his first appearance. His own, like his yeah, he has two appearances over uh, Steve Nash, but his first appearance against 06 against, you know, a very young Wade and and Shaq. You know, the actually the 06 team is actually pretty underrated. Alonzo Mourning, Gary Payton. So that, that was a good Heat team. They lost a 2-0 lead. You know, and I felt bad. Dirk won the the MVP the next year. Um, and then yeah, like I said earlier, he lost to the old old six old seven We Believe team. So, like then, like I said, they traded for Kid, and I was really happy. They had some good years, and like I know we we're talking about early two thousand like two thousands teams, but I'm just gonna squeeze it in because like him winning that chip gave me so much satisfaction because I fucking loved him for so long, <laughs> and like and that was yo. He had the most crunch time points in that playoff run than anyone. He's number one. I think it was sixty three crunch time points, bro, in the fourth. Like, on fucking real. He had an on fucking real that run that year, and I loved it. Like taking it, in, bro. He beat a Brandon Roy. We knew, you know, it's a fucking amazing ass fucking shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, underrated. Even Lamarcus Aldridge was on that team too. Uh, who else? And then, oh yeah, they swept the Lakers when the Lakers came back back to back, and they beat a very young, 
fucking good team, OKC, when James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Cameron Durant was on it. And then they beat fucking Miami, bro. The, the big three, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. Well, that was in the 2010s. I know, but I'm, I, I'm just squeezing it in. Because, you know, it's my Dallas team. Because that was the only thing they, they, they only accomplished at the later, later end of, of, Dallas, uh, of the 2000s, right? Yeah, I do agree with you, though, that with, um, with I am happy that um, Dirk got a championship. Like, I've never been so satisfied from just one player. Just coming off like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, my next team was obviously, as I said, Steve Nash led points for both of them. So Phoenix Suns. Like, well, the only time they had Nash, to be honest. Like, that was the only time I fucked with them. Like, going back to what I said, you know, like, I said Nash led six of the top 12. So he ran three with Dallas. So he ran the other three with Suns. 05, 04, 05, 06, 07, and then at the end of the decade, 09 and 10. And, you know, I, I love Dirk and Nash together, but I don't think in any, like, it shouldn't be in, in any question in your mind that Dirk and Steve Nash was fucking amazing. But I think he had more success with Amari because Nash and Amari was unreal, bro. The pick and roll were always on point. Fucking, he's doing some next fucking pass. Amari somehow catches it and does a fucking poster dunk. And that's a nightly basis for the <laughs> for Steve Nash, right? Taking the coaches, Don Nelson, uh, D'Antoni, Alva Gentry, they're all offensive geniuses. And they allowed Nash to excel in their playing style because he led their playing style all the time. Uh, you know, I think if Nash was scoring maybe 20, 22 points a game, I think Nash would have at least gone to the finals once. He got close with Kobe when he ran into Kobe. But yeah, it was... You know, it wasn't even Kobe's fault. Take this in. Nash went to the finals nine, uh, about like, uh, I think nine times. Seven out of those nine times, Spurs knocked him out. He lost to the Spurs all the time. You know, and I don't know what it was. I, we, I talked about before about mental hurdle. Sometimes your team just has their number. And I just felt like that. What that's what happened with uh, Steve Nash. Uh, yeah, but you remember those people on those teams? You had like... Obviously, Amari, you have Marion, Sean Marion, sorry, Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, Grant Hill. Boris Diaw, holy shit, bro. Grant Hill, Damn. bro. Damn, yeah, Grant Hill. Yo, so it was, and you know, that was also a year, that's like, what I love about 2000, the rivalry still exists, bro. How many fucking broken noses Steve Nash got when he was playing with the Suns and Spurs? Raja Bell. Yeah, Raja Bell's on that team too, bro. That guy's a, that guy's a dog, bro. But look, but you're taking how many times Steve Nash broke his nose every time in the playoff or something. Robert Horry hip checked him. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Bro, I'm telling you, yo, that was 2000s to this day is like my favorite era. I fucking loved it. It was still like a hint of the 90s, but it just, it was much better with higher offensive like uh, plays, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, so those were two of my favorite teams. Watching in two thousands, but what about you, man? Like, what was your two teams that you loved watching? So my two teams throughout the two thousands, I'd say throughout that decade, um, in the East would probably be the Pistons and obviously the Celtics. I those are good. There's two good teams, especially the Pistons. Yeah, so the the Pistons are always forgotten, man. Like, especially during that time too. Um, 
obviously they had their championship run just for that um for that season. I believe it was in 2004 and they won against the Lakers, Kobe's Lakers. Yeah. Right. And they went they went back to back finals. Yeah. But they, they lost the Spurs. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just to name some members of the squad for those who don't know, they had Chauncey Billups, they had Tayshawn Prince, they had Mehmet Okur, they had Rashid Wallace, and then obviously Mehmet the, Okur was on that team? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, Mehmet Okur was on the Pistons in the 2003-2004 season. And then obviously Ben Wallace. Like Ben Wallace, man, like he was Ben like, and Rashid Wallace, bro. Yeah, man. Like they I were, so, they were brothers, eh? You thought they were brothers? Nah. <laughs> yeah, because I was a kid, you know, you see the same fucking last name, you think, oh <laughs> shit, they're related. Right? Like at the same time, it was just so sick because I remember there was this movie I I watched. Um, I think I was probably in grade seven or grade eight. Um, and it, even the the Ben Wallace references would make itself, would find its way into pop culture. And I was watching this movie called Four Brothers with Mark Wahlberg and Tyrese Gibson and, and Andre 3000, right? And it's a it's pretty much a gangster movie that takes place in Detroit, but it's also filmed in Toronto. So if you haven't checked it out, it's really dope. Highly recommend it. And they put a little instances of like, celebrating Detroit Pistons there. And it's really cool. Um, but yeah, Ben Wallace, Defensive Player of the Year multiple times. Dude is insane. Like I he think was, he went undrafted, right? I think so. I yeah, because so. his story was also, like, the way he came up, he just needed one shot, and he got it, and he fucking excelled in, in the Pistons. And you know you know what? I also forgot Rip Hamilton, man. Fuck, you didn't say Rip, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot to say Rip, but yeah, Rip Hamilton. I can rock a mask, bro. Yeah, man. Like at that point, he was rocking that fucking kawaii-looking mask. <laughs> yeah, like the thing is, he was he wore it because of injury, and he's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna use it like yeah, yeah an accessory yeah. at this point." And it worked. It looked it looked dope. Like that squad was so the chemistry was there. Like they had you know the grit and the grind. They were they were so so sick. Like pretty much they had the the whole nobody believed in us mantra, you know, because obviously it was a five game upset to the heavily favored like Lakers at, at the time. Right. So I don't know, man. I really, really like this Piston squad. I think yeah, me too. they were just so they're so, so good. All right. So my East team in the the other East team in the 2000s, I also digged. Uh, was this uh, Boston Celtics in 2008, that 2008 run. Because it was obviously one of the first times where we saw all these great players come in one team, um, pretty that forming that you know first big three with Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and KG, and being coached by Doc Rivers, having Rajon Rondo on the squad, Kendrick Perkins. Ooh. You know, fun fact, KG actually asked for Rondo to stay. He personally wanted Ronald to play, to run the point, which is actually big confidence. Yeah, man. Yeah, because he was doing he was doing things that like guard. No, no, but like Ronald was saying that he, uh, I guess he he was struggling getting playing time. So he was keep telling Doc, "Yo, bro, put me, put me in, bro, put me in. I want to play. Give me more minutes." And uh, and I think he was okay being traded away because that was a different opportunity that he can get more minutes. But then KG's like, nah, fam, you stay with me <laughs> and change his life, you know? Yeah, man. 
like I'm gonna run down like a couple of the players that were on the squad really quickly for you. Like yeah, sure, I think uh, James Posey, bro. Yeah, James Posey, um, Tony Batie, Al Jefferson was on the squad. Eddie House. Oh, those were early, early to. Okay, you're talking about early Celtics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know they were earlier Celtics too, but then, um, big baby Glenn Davis. Ah, oh, fuck. Right. He was a big baby. He was a big baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like it was because at that point I was a Lakers fan, man. I was a Lakers fan. Um. When this all happened, Tony Allen, man, Tony Allen is. Tony like, Allen was on that team, bro. That dude had Hall of Fame clamps for sure. That dude was a, like he he's he's the only one who can slap on the floor. He he you know those defenders can slap on the floor and, and get ready to defend, but then something always bad happens to them. But Tony, when Tony Allen slaps the fucking floor, bro, you don't want none. Like he he made it so inspiring to play defense. Oh yeah. Yeah, you said Kobe. Kobe said he was like one of the hardest players to play against. Yeah, yeah. Kobe said that, and and obviously, you know, if Kobe says that, if it's true to what he said verbatim, it's it's hella true, man. Because Tony Allen, he always had his his correct hand whenever the offensive player was about to do a crossover or try to find a way to drive to the rim yeah. or pass out. He was really good at reading. The offense. Yeah. He's really good at reading the offense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like that Celtic squad was hella, hella dope. Um, but also I just want to give a quick, quick shout out to KG because KG at this point, like obviously him and Kobe came in together and at this point too, and Paul Pierce, Paul Pierce doesn't get enough credit. You know what I mean? Um, that being, you know, he was there longer than KG and and Ray Allen, but yeah, but Ray Allen, bro, Ray Allen did some crazy shit in the Big Three era. Oh yeah, like I was saying, like the first round in Chicago, when he, that was a great first. Like I think that was that year, the same year that that uh, the Big Three came together, mm-hmm. where they had like a nice seven game series. Like it was like two or three overtimes in that series alone. It was you didn't even know who's gonna win. That was the fucked up part, right? You think fucking Boston should have slapped, right? Uh, KG wasn't in that in that in that uh round. I think he was coming off an injury, but KG he came in later in the in the playoff run for them to win the chip. I think that's the year. But yeah, like Ray Allen went off there, bro. Fifty one points, bro. He was a straight shooter, and I loved watching him when he was hot. All right, man. So. Let's end off this uh, episode with our full timeout segment. Take it away, Felix. All right. So, because, you know, we looked, obviously, we loved our generation, right? The 2000s. So, I want to compare our 2000 players to the 90s players. And you tell me who you think is better. Okay, sick. All right. Three, two, one, go. Penny Hardaway or Gilbert Arenas? Penny Hardaway. Reggie Miller or Ray Allen? Reggie Miller. Clyde Drexler or Melo? Clyde Drexler. What? Okay, Shaq 1990? 1990 Shaq? Or 2000 Shaqs? 2000 Shaqs. Hakeem or Dirk? Hakeem. Grant Hill or Brennan Roy? Grant Hill, bro. Mitch Mitch Richmond or T-Mac? T-Mac. Gary Payton or Chris Paul? Gary Payton. Stockton or Kid? Stockton. Isaiah Thomas or AI? 
AI. Ewing or Dwight? Ewing. David Robinson or Yao Ming? Yao Ming. Barkley or KG? KG. Malone or Timmy? Timmy. Tim Hardaway or Steve Nash? Ooh, Steve Nash. Dominique Wilkins or BC? Oh my god. <laughs> Wilkins, Wilkins. Sean Camp or Blake Griffin? Oh, Sean Camp. Rodman or Ben Wallace? Ooh, Ben Wallace. Scotty or early 2000 LeBron James? Oh, Scotty, Scotty. Or M- MJ or Kobe? MJ. All right, that was it. And obviously, that was not fucking one minute, but who's counting? Thank you guys so much for listening to Full Court Press. We'll catch you in the next one. Sayonara. Peace.